was an army chaplain, my soldiers asked me all kinds of questions about God, life, relationships, the Bible, and answered them as best I could with things I've picked up along the way. They also called me Padre. Welcome to the Dear Padre podcast, where I try to answer the questions. And today I asked the question, or try to answer the question, where the question is, what is the Bible all about? Like, is it a history book? Is it a moral guide? What is it about? And uh, I hope that you can see in the story of Omri and Ahab that there is a thread through the whole Bible, a thread of salvation history. And that is the thread. And that's why things are in there, and that's why other things are not in there. So I hope that makes sense, and I hope this story, or these stories, uh, encourage you today as you're living, as you're thriving, as you're struggling, and doing what God has called you to do. We're getting into the divided kingdom here. There's been a civil war. Solomon's son has taken over the lower kingdom of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. And Jeroboam, who's from the tribe of Ephraim, which lives up north already, sets up a kingdom of his own, a dynasty of his own, which God has kind of promised to him, or at least said, if you keep the covenant, I'll keep your family on the throne. Uh, Right away, the kings of Israel reject the covenant. They never really were part of it um, after they defected, after they set up their own kingdom. It's hard really to count them. And yet they still are Jewish people. Um, the term Jewish comes from Judean. Uh, Ju- Jews have always been called Judeans or after the tribe of Judah, which has been the predominant tribe of the people of God. So at this point in Jewish history, we have the kingdom split and the northern people are called Israelites because they're called the kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom is called the kingdom of Judah. And yet sometimes those terms are interchangeable. Sometimes the people in the north are referred to as Jews, Judeans, um, by people far away who don't really know the difference. Kind of like you might call, an, you might call, um, you know, Texans, Southerners, and you might call Floridians Southerners, but people from Alabama don't always consider Floridians and Texans to be Southerners. A lot of combos of different overlapping terms and things that... So you have the Israelites, and then you have um, these terms that are sort of interchangeable because the tribe of Judah is a descendant of Israel, Jacob. Um, Judah is one of Jacob's sons who the tribe is named after. So you have this split, and the split kind of happens in parallel. In 1 Kings, the stories are told simultaneously. Here you have, in the certain year of King Asa, you have this King Omri comes along. Omri is one of the coolest people in the Bible, not because he was a good person, he was terrible, but because he is one of the few Israel kings of Israel who is attested to in a non-Bible source. Pretty much all the source material for what was happening in the world of First Kings. Um, we're really talking like almost 3,000 years ago. 
a um, little less than 3,000 years ago, but right around there. Solomon, if you want to understand Bible history, one of the greatest ways to do that is to just take Solomon at 1,000 years, 1,000 BC or BCE, before the Common Era, before Christ. So you have Solomon at 1,000 pretty much, and everybody else kind of fits in between 1,000 and uh, Jesus. So all the prophets and all that stuff happen in the next 500 years or so. Before that, you have all the other history, the non-king history, like King David and King Saul and judges and all these other characters like Joshua and Moses and Abraham. And that's like the thousand years before that thousand year mark at Solomon. But this is um, the Northern Kingdom. It's dated to the reign of King Asa, but Omri is one of the few guys that's attested to outside of the Bible. There's a carving of his name in an Assyrian tablet, the Northern Kingdom above above the land of Israel is Assyria. And they have a, a tablet or a big stone set up, a stella, I think it's called, a big stone pillar with a lot of writing of different battles that different kings won. And Omri is attested to. And Omri's a really big deal. He's a huge king to these people. He's very powerful. And yet in the Bible, he gets like one little paragraph. He gets like, okay, Omri did what was evil. We're not really interested in him. He was more evil than anybody before him. He walked in the ways of Jeroboam, who was evil too, and Nebat and the sins that they did. And the Lord was angry. And if you want to read more about Omri, go to the book of the annals of the kings of Israel, which is now lost to us. But if you want to read more about him, go there. I'm not going to waste any more time on him. The Bible, the constant concern of the biblical authors is always the spiritual story that's happening, that what God is doing in people's lives. It's never world history. As historians and amateur historians, we'd love to know more details, what people ate, how they dressed, some of the more bigger political intrigues. And when we see this guy Omri show up outside of the Bible as a really big deal, we would expect him to be a big deal here, but he's not. He's actually a nobody in the Bible because God is looking for hearts. God is looking for people's hearts. And Omri has no interest in God, no heart for God. He barely even makes a mention of him. And so this next king that comes along is named Ahab, um, an infamous name in the Bible. The northern king Ahab, a king of Israel, son of Omri, this really great and powerful king that the Bible really doesn't care about. Um, Ahab comes to power. He reigns for 22 years. That's kind of a long time. Um, He does what is evil in the sight of the Lord from day one to the end of his day, um, to the end of his life. Now, he marries a woman named Jezebel. Now, Jezebel is another one of those names like Ahab that comes down to us in pop culture. There's a magazine called Jezebel. It's sort of a switcheroo on, well, powerful women have always been called Jezebel. But in fact, um, we're going to make that, we're going to own that epithet. But the Jezebel of the Bible is a Jezebel in the worst sense of the word. She is, there's a reason why she has come down to us um, this way. Um, She's bad, not because she's pretty or because she's powerful or because she's the queen. There's lots of good queens, lots of good, powerful women in the Bible. She's bad because she kills people that don't deserve to be killed. 
That's kind of what makes somebody bad or good in the world of the Bible. Um, she does things that are contrary to the law of God. Ahab does, Ahab does more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any of the kings who are before him. Again, he, does, he one-ups his father. Omri did everything evil. Ahab's going to go even a couple steps further. He builds these um, different uh, cities. He builds an altar to Baal or Baal. Baal uh, most is a Canaanite god that means master or lord um, in the Canaanite language. And so there are many different kinds of Baals, Baals, set up all throughout the world of the Bible. Um, but it seems like there's one Baal that everybody kind of gravitates towards. Hard to know which Baal this is, but this is the Baal that he sets up in Samaria. Now, Samaria becomes this, um, the center of the northern kingdom. You can see why later the Samaritans, when everybody comes back to the land, are hated so much. Samaria has already been set up as the bad guy, in, even in this part of the story. When the Jews, the Judeans, come back from Babylon, when they come back from their exile, they come back to a land where the, northern, the remnants of the northern tribes, the Samaritans, are running the show. They come back to these Samaritans, and they become sort of public enemy number one with Jewish people, even though they are, by any way, shape, or form, they are Jewish, and are still today. There are Samaritans there. Um, in Samaria today that trace their lineage back to the, this moment in time. The Samaritan kingdom is set up. There's a temple set up there to mirror the, the true temple in Jerusalem. And then there's an Asherah pole, like a maypole kind of thing, a sacred pole set up to dedicate the worship of Asherah. Asherah is a female deity in the Canaanite religion. So we're talking hundreds of years after Joshua's conquest of Canaan, hundreds of years. And we still have syncretism. We still have two religions coexisting and coming and going and being very much a part of each other. Um, we don't have the other side of the story, how the Canaanites handled Judaism at this point in time of history. We don't have any accounts of that, but you can be sure that it was a two-way street and they're setting up temples in Samaria. And then the narrator tells us something even worse something even worse. He says, in the days of Ahab, Heel of Bethel, who is some sort of minor nobility, some minor lord or knight or some person of influence who builds his own city, he builds Jericho or rebuilds Jericho from the destruction of the, the conquest and laid its foundation at the cost of Abiram, his firstborn, and set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub. So this is what the chronicle, uh, the king's writer tells us, that under Ahab's influence, under his immoral, godless leadership, or not the true god leadership, he's definitely into other gods, under this, this um, kingdom, a guy, a powerful man, sacrifices his own sons, two of them, to build the walls of a city. Why they did this, it's hard to know. It doesn't say in this text. We assume, based on other things we know about other religions and even the religion of the Bible, that when you offer your son, uh, kill him 
and lay his body in the foundation stones of a building or a castle or a city, uh, that that somehow provides protection for that place. And you can see on a very human level why it would. Here, our great leader has sacrificed his most precious possession, his own kids. And he's going to, we can trust him because he's that dedicated to building this city. Um, It's a sign of his own, what he's willing to give. When you're already really rich, there's nothing else that you can give that would seem costly. And so this might be part of why they do it. Also to give the gods a sign that they are fully devoted. We see echoes of this in the story of Abraham and Isaac and the binding of Isaac. When God says, uh, God says, go kill me a son. Abe says, where do you want the killing done? And God says out on Highway 61, according to Bob Dylan, that this is the interchange of God's relationship with Abraham, which Abraham doesn't kill his son, but these guys do. And this is a sign of how far they have gone, that this is how leadership works. When a leader is doing things like Ahab is doing, people under him do stuff that Ahab is doing. When someone, when a leader emboldenly and brazenly flaunts the law, uh, everybody else under them does the same thing. Um, when the cat's away, the mice play, as they say. And so this is what's happening. So this was part of the prophecy of Joshua, who had conquered this land to begin with. That when you forsake the law of God, you'll end up doing the kind of stuff that these pagan kings do. And one of the things they do is they take their children and kill them to make themselves look better and to appease the gods and to give them more success. They're willing to do anything for their own success, even kill their children. And the question is, you know, we don't do this stuff today, but we also um, are often willing to sacrifice good things in our life that are actually good for us and good for them um, for some quick success scheme, for some uh, guarantee against safety. And whenever we're doing that, whenever we're, we're taking relationships and commodifying them that way, saying, if I do this, then this will happen, um, we have stopped the ability, we have stopped loving at that point, and we are simply in it for ourselves. And so this is the story of people, people from a long time ago, but people that God is intimately involved with in their lives. And meant to be a cautionary tale, uh, for sure. But also a tale that says humans have always been doing human things, and we mimic people around us. And so be careful what temples you go to and who you mimic, um, because you'll end up hopefully not like Heil of Bethel um, or his sons. But we can end up um, forgetting that our first love was with God. And that relationship is the one that we preserve. Amen. O God, the King Eternal, whose light divides the day from the night and turns a shadow of death into the morning, drive far from us all wrong desires, incline our hearts to keep your law, and guide our feet into the way of peace, that having done your will with cheerfulness during the day, we may, when night comes, rejoice to give you thanks. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. And a prayer for mission on 100. O God, you have made of one blood all the peoples of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. 
Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh. And hasten the coming of your kingdom. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.